how do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is the Past Lives Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Bowne. My mission here at the Past Lives Podcast is to investigate evidence that demonstrates survival of the human soul. We look at past life memories, near-death experiences, spirit communication, and other incredible phenomena. To get access to the extended versions of the episodes, you can join the Past Lives Podcast Patreon campaign. And when you sign up for $5 a month, you get an extended episode every week. And for $2 a month, you get an extended episode every month. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash pastlivespodcast. Or click on the Patreon button on my homepage at pastlivesypnosis.co.uk. Also, when you book a past life regression hypnosis session with me and you're a patron, you get a 25% discount. And I'm offering a free consultation call, which can be booked on my website and you would be very welcome to join the Past Lives Podcast Facebook group. The podcast is on YouTube. There's no video, it's just the audio, but if you want to get an access to it, that's another way to do it. And this week, I'm talking to Jeff O'Driscoll, and we talk about his book, Not Yet. Jeff has had extensive experience with shared death phenomena during 25 years as an emergency physician in a level one trauma centre. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's very kind of you to give us your time. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Simon. Simon, thank you. So um, the book that we're going to talk about is Not Yet, Near Life Experiences and Lessons Learned. So what is the basic idea behind the book? The book is a collection of experiences I had as an emergency physician for 25 years in a major trauma center. And some of those experiences, for lack of a better word, were quite spiritual in that they they didn't address things that I had learned about in medical school, such as seeing souls leave their bodies at the time of death and having them communicate with me. I didn't speak about any of these things for over 20 years, and then when it finally felt okay to share, I... Uh, decided to compile some of them in this book, and that's what it is. So how often would you see something like this? I had experiences several times a year, maybe once a month or so. Sometimes I'd have a series of them in close succession, and sometimes I'd go a long period of time without uh, any such experience. Would you say that there are a lot of medical staff that see things like this, but they just never talk about it? 
Um, I think there's a few medical providers that see things like this. Uh, Sometimes they see things, sometimes they hear things, sometimes they just feel it in their soul, and uh, most of them are disinclined to talk about it, uh, either for professional reasons or for other personal reasons. Do you think that perhaps there may be some kind of a, the talent that a proper medium would have, that you, maybe you are just born with it, and that's why you were able to see these things and other people don't? Yes, I've never thought of myself as a medium, but I've had other people tell me that I am one. Um, My communications, uh, I think, began in childhood uh, shortly after my brother died in a farm accident. I was 11 years old at the time, and I remember having experiences where I'd get messages, I'd hear voices uh, in my teenage years. And I came to recognize that some of those messages, at least, were coming from my brother. And so I think it was his his seemingly untimely departure from this life is part of what uh, primed me for the experiences I had. Would you say that your religious upbringing gave you a a different kind of viewpoint on these things? That's a good question, and I'm not certain how to answer it because I never viewed these experiences as religious. I reviewed, I I, uh, thought of them as spiritual experiences, not religious experiences. And um, I grew up in a Christian tradition and uh, that may have inclined me to some of these experiences, but it may have disinclined me to others that I haven't had uh, because people all over the world from all different religious traditions have spiritual experiences and I think it's more about connecting with the divine it's about being one with the universe than it is about uh, subscribing to any particular particular religion because I was interested in one of the things you talked about in the book was you were in a meeting, a committee meeting, and you had a spiritual visitor who later visited you at home. Yes, I was uh, doing some research and writing on a on a deceased person, and uh, it was it was a committee uh, task, and I was one of the committee. And this deceased person uh, entered the room, uh, and. When I'm in one of these experiences, these spiritual experiences, it's not uncommon for me to be able to see in all directions at the same time. And although I was sitting facing away from the open doorway, I could see this man enter behind me and sit in the chair next to the door. And I looked around the, the table to see if anyone else in the room was aware of anything unusual. And everybody was carrying on uh, seemingly quite unaware and and this person walked stood up and walked up behind me and laid his hands on my head and proceeded to bless me and uh, uh, he came back to me uh, several days later in my home in a similar way and uh, continued that communication that had begun in that meeting and I and to my knowledge or to my best knowledge nobody else in the room was even aware that he was there and what was it he was uh, communicating? Was he trying to get a message through to someone? He was telling me about his life, and he was telling me about some of the things to be included in this research that we were conducting. Uh, but interestingly enough, 
after he told me all of this stuff, he cautioned me very specifically and said, don't tell the other committee members about this experience because he didn't want what may have been a profound experience for me to infringe on the experiences and the contributions of the other people on the committee. He was giving it to me to make them aware, but he didn't want me to tell them where it came from. So you were kind of getting um, inside information in a way. I suppose it's been my experience uh, frequently when I have messengers come to me that they are sometimes reluctant to deliver the message because they want to honor my agency, my choice. They're so sensitive to the fact that this is my life, not theirs, that sometimes they won't deliver the message unless I ask them for it or invite them to do so. And it's been my experience in talking with others that they've had similar experiences, that, that messengers are very sensitive to boundaries and uh, they don't overstep our agency. Because it seems to me from the things that I've learned about is that when you get on the other side, you have a much more, I don't know, a much more universal point of view and a greater amount of knowledge. And it's almost like you are no longer the personality you were on Earth as though the, because the physical brain has gone out of the way, it's almost like you have a massive jump in IQ. Yes. Um, several of the messengers that have come to me have been, well, I should say some, not several perhaps, but some have been people I've known in this life before death. And when they came to me, they had very much the same personality that they had in this life. But I agree with you, there's this profound flood of knowledge. There's this, this almost omniscience that comes instantaneously. For example, um, a gentleman who crashed his car, uh, it was a bad crash, it killed his wife of 10 years, his 14-month-old son, and nearly took his life as well. And he was flown to my trauma center, and when I went into the trauma room, he was unconscious on the gurney, and people were taking care of him, and his deceased wife was standing above him in the air, observing his care. And I, I experienced her, and, and she communicated with me. And although words were not so much involved, it was this profound telepathic communication, but it was this enormous flood of knowledge that came in an instant and I understood who she was and who the person on the gurney or her husband was and uh, I knew that he would live and that there were significant things in the future not only for him but for us uh, uh, together as friends and, um, and a month later when he was awake enough to talk we had a conversation about my experience but also about his I learned that he had left his body at the scene of the accident and had a had a communication with his deceased wife who told him, you have to go back and raise our other son. And uh, that man's name's Jeff Olson. He and I are still good friends today. And in fact, he and I are going to be speaking uh, in London next month uh, at the St. James uh, Church downtown. Yes, I, I talked to Jeff Olson last week, and he's such an interesting guy. And for what he's been through, he has such an amazing viewpoint on life. 
Yes, Jeff and I are dear friends and we share a lot of viewpoints. In fact, it was talking to each other for uh, over a period of years that uh, we helped one another process our spiritual experiences in such a way as to understand them better and to use them to help others. Yeah, and that's one of the things that comes through from you guys. Is It's a kind of like when we were talking before about how spirits seem different from when they were alive because they have this great knowledge. But at the same time, you could say that knowledge is like facts and figures, but it's a lot more than that. There's a kind of a spiritual viewpoint of um, not judging people, having more love, more acceptance, trying to do more to help others. I agree completely. Um, in some ways, we came as omniscient beings. We existed before we were, we were born, and we had this profound fund of knowledge. And when we entered this existence, this physical body that we dwell in presently functions as a, as a veil, as a filter. It protects us from all of that knowledge until we've grown and learned and can become accountable for it as it's restored to us. And so when I have these experiences where knowledge is given to me, it doesn't feel so much like a revelation as it does a confirmation of something I've known forever but forgotten. So there's a kind of familiarity there. It's almost like you're being reminded of it. Yes, in fact, that's one of the signals for me that kind of witnesses to the source of it is when I have an aha moment and I go, oh, of course, that's so clear. Yes, I get that now. Now I understand. Um, that's kind of a witness for me that, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's true and it came from a divine place. So I wanted to ask you about something else from the book where you got a message. I think the chapter is called Go. And you kind of got a message that you had to go to an event and pass on a message to someone. So could you tell us a little bit about what happened there? But also, where did the message come from? Who was telling you to go? I was sitting in a meeting and a voice spoke to me and said, go to, and it told me the name of the city, which I'd rather not say because... Um, there's some things I just don't share. And that was the whole message. It was three words, go to in the name of the city. And I thought, oh, well, okay. And there was an event going on in that city. And tickets to the event were hard to find. And I assumed that it had something to do with the event, but I didn't know for sure. And I had no tickets. And a few days later, a good friend of mine called me on the phone and she said, I have your tickets. I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, I have the tickets. They're for you. And she had tickets to this event that I was going to be at. Uh, and so I, I got the tickets. I made a reservation at a hotel. I traveled a couple hundred miles and uh, I showed up at this place. And in the parking lot waiting to go into the event, this young couple and their kids came and stood next to me and we started visiting and and the the man took his kids and went for a walk to keep them entertained and I talked with this woman for a while and then when the event started we went in we sat down and as I was waiting for the event to start the voice came back to me and said uh, she well let me let me explain first she had uh, 
confided to me that she'd been married to this man for some years, but she wanted her wedding, her marriage sanctioned by a religious authority. And they hadn't done that. And it's something that meant a lot to me or to her. And during when we were sitting waiting for the event to start, this voice came to me and said, you need to tell him it's time to take his wife and have this religious ceremony. And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, no. I, I, do, I just met these people. I can't say something like that. And the voice told me again, and I was very resistant. And third time, the voice came to me and said, this is why I sent you here. If you do not tell them this, you will be held accountable. And I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. But after the meeting was over, after the event was over, I found them. They were standing on the lawn outside the, the building, and uh, I walked over to the to them, and the gentleman looked at me, and I didn't hardly say anything. I think all I said was something like, it's time. And Spirit communicated the rest of the message to him, and he started to weep, and he said, yes, I know. And we embraced, and it was a profound experience. And uh, shortly after that, I got a letter from the wife who said, thank you for honoring the message you received because I sh shared with her some of what I'd been through to get there. And she thanked me for delivering the message and uh, and they they had their religious ceremony. But isn't it isn't it strange that the voice would speak to me and send me to another city to meet somebody I never knew and deliver a message that had nothing to do with me? Uh, to this day, I'm just kind of taken aback by it. It is a bit odd, isn't it? Who do you think the voice is? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps if I prayed or pondered or meditated or asked, maybe it would come to me, but uh, I don't know. When the voice comes, I recognize it, and I don't always know who it is. Sometimes I do, um, but the truth of it is kind of like, uh, carried into my soul, and I understand it, even if I don't know the exact source. And I have some friends who tell me that their messengers have told them, uh, "We don't use names here. If you want, if you want me to give you a name, I'll give you a name so you can use it. But we don't need names here, and we don't use names. And maybe that's why sometimes the messages come, and I don't know who they're from. Did you actually hear it? Like you hear a voice with your ears, like. You're talking to somebody, or is it more kind of a mental thing? Well, it it sounds like a voice to me, but if it was an audible voice, people sitting next to me would hear it as well, I suppose. So the way I think of it in my medical background, with my medical training, is to hear something with my ear, I have sound waves that are generated by some external source and they travel through the air and they hit my my uh, eardrum, my tympanic membrane, and then they go through the bones of the inner of the middle ear and then they're converted to electrical signals which travel down the auditory uh, nerve and are converted by my brain to some sound that I interpret. But in spirit, it bypasses all those physical things and I just get the message directly without having to go through my ears and all those other steps. That's how I think of it. Something else in the book. There was one where you had some kind of an out-of-body experience. Well, it's almost like it was a near-death experience, except you weren't near death. And the sentence said something like, you shook all your worldly possessions and you passed through an indistinct veil and walked into a beautiful, lush landscape. So was that 
you were actually out of your body or was it more of a an imaginary experience i'm not <clears throat> i'm not certain i can distinguish between the two but for me i was out of the body that's uh, what i felt and experienced um it i i could feel myself passing through this veil if you will but at the same time i was several feet away in an objective position observing myself go through the veil and so it was very fascinating because I was experiencing it and observing it at the same time and after I passed through the veil as you mentioned I was walking through this verdant lush beautiful landscape in my bare feet and all I had on was a pair of blue jeans and a white collared shirt and a belt and I was profoundly aware that I had nothing else and that I wanted nothing else, and that I missed nothing. And it was so liberating because I realized the insignificance of all the things we tend to aggregate and collect in this life. Uh, we want to gather things and own and possess things, and it was so liberating to have nothing and to want nothing. Hello, listeners. This is Simon. Now, as some of you know, I have a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy, and I'm certified in past life regression therapy. And in the past few weeks, I've taken many clients through some amazing and healing past life regressions. And I conduct sessions over Zoom, and I've had clients from many countries around the world. Now, when you go through a past life regression, you will feel totally in control and remember everything. And also, I record the whole session and send you an MP3 afterwards. And this gives you space to relax and go with the flow knowing that you can listen back later and analyse what you experienced if you need to. So if you ever wanted to explore your past lives in a single session, or have an issue you want to work on, you can go to my website at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk and book a free 20-minute consultation. And at the moment, I'm offering a 25% discount to everyone that has signed up to the Patreon campaign. The link is in the show notes. Was that experience, do you think, in some way given to you, or was it just kind of spontaneous? It felt completely spontaneous. I don't recall asking for anything or particularly pondering anything. Some of my experiences come in response to questions that I have or things that I ponder or experiences that I'm trying to understand. And some experiences come to me seemingly completely out of the blue and and I, I don't have a context for them. They're profoundly meaningful. They change me. They write on my soul and make me a different person and help me to be able to help others. And maybe that's the only purpose they came, uh, but they don't seem to be connected with anything that was going on in my life at that moment. And do you feel that uh, your experiences are all Christian? you know, kind of because of the way you were brought up and you've lived your life? Because there are a lot of people who have near-death experiences that have no type of religious content, aren't there? There are. Uh, near-death experiences uh, uh, cross all religious and cultural and socioeconomic boundaries. And I've studied a, f a fair amount uh, over the years. I've I've read the uh, Bhagavad Gita, a sacred text to the Hindus. I've studied the Quran. 
I actually learned Hebrew so I could study the Torah in Hebrew. Um, and for me, most of these spiritual experiences transcend religion. They're more about who we are as individuals and how we relate to one another. And so I'm very open to uh, most, re perhaps all religious traditions. I don't understand some of them, but I'm open to them. And it's about learning who we are personally and learning how to love one another and ourselves. Uh, that's virtually always the message. That's virtually always what we're here to learn. And uh, in fact, I was I was really laboring on this for some time about loving more freely, more openly, because that's something that I have struggled with sometimes, just loving people the way they deserve to be loved, uh, just endlessly and uh, unconditionally. And I asked one day about this. Why, why is it such a struggle for me to love? And I don't know whether I asked the right question or it was the right day or both, but the message came back immediately to me so you can understand those who struggle to love and help them. And I thought, well, isn't that wonderful? That makes perfect sense. Why couldn't you have told me that 30 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> of course, I wasn't ready 30 years ago. The message came when the message came when I was ready. And... Uh, and then I was given to understand, uh, in fact, the messenger told me, every experience is to enable you to help someone else. And I thought, wait a minute, I thought experiences were to, for personal growth. And then we could go help other people if we wanted to. And the messenger said, no, the primary purpose of every experience is to enable you to help someone else. And you get the secondary benefit of personal growth. Now, I don't know whether that applies to anybody but me. I just know that's what I was told on that occasion. And it helped put my experiences into a context where I understood, you know, I didn't speak about them for over 20 years, and now I understood they weren't just for me. Some of my experiences were to enable me to help others, and I couldn't help them without sharing. So that's why I share now. Do you believe that we have, like, a life plan that's something that was set in place for us, not something that will definitely happen, but a kind of, this is the life you're going into for this reason. I think we did have an understanding of much of what would transpire down in this life. I, I think we knew it was going to be difficult at times. I think we knew that there'd be ups and downs, that there'd be significant people that came and go, that would come and go in our, in our experience. I'm not one of these people that thinks that every minute detail was planned out and agreed upon before we came, but I do think there was an overall plan that we accepted and understood and agreed upon. And so it's a kind of a viewpoint of reincarnation is that every life you have is kind of for learning a specific lesson. Is reincarnation something you're interested in? Reincarnation is an interesting word. A lot of people believe in reincarnation and multiple lives, yet that would not be part of the Christian tradition. <clears throat> Most Christian religions don't believe in a pre-mortal existence of humans, and yet I have embrace it completely. And it's, it, it's an Eastern tradition that's very common that we existed before we were born in this life. 
So I'm not sure whether we come back born into bodies as humans or animals and in the typical sense of reincarnation, that may be the case. But I do believe that we existed in, we have existed and will yet in, exist in multiple spheres. I believe we existed as spirit beings before we were born and now we're physical beings. And I think we'll continue to exist uh, in spirit form after this life. And I don't know how things will progress uh, entirely, but I believe that we go through steps and stages to learn and grow as, as we're prepared to do so. I wanted to move on and ask you about something specific that you asked Jeff Olson. Is when you, you asked him, when did you become a god? So what did you mean by that? That's a pretty bold question, isn't it? Yeah. As, as I'm sure Jeff explained, to you when he was out of his body during his near-death experience one of the things that he experienced was an opportunity to again hold his 14 month old son who had died and he had this profound experience holding his son and as he did so he felt that he was approached from behind by a divine being that embraced him and in the moment that it happened it was so profound he felt not only that he was being embraced by the divine but he had a realization that he was divine himself well, that troubled him a bit, um, and a lot of people would, would have some real heartburn about this notion of us being divine, about being gods. But as I, as I mentioned, I grew up in a Christian tradition, so I turned to the New Testament, and I pointed out to Jeff, we were having lunch during this conversation, and I pointed out to him, when Christ once identified himself as being a son of God, he was accused of blasphemy, and the people that were there wanted to stone him to death. And his response to them was, Is it not written in your law, I have said, ye are gods? And he wasn't coming up with some new soon-to-be Christian doctrine. He was quoting the 82nd Psalm. He was, he was referring to what they believed to be sacred scripture, telling them, you're gods. These people that hated him so much they wanted to kill him, and he's telling them, no, you're divine too. It's a message. That's who we are. We are all divine beings, every one of us. We may not yet be like God, but we are divine beings. So you're saying to Jeff, when did you become a god? You're not actually saying he's a god. It's No, I am. Yeah. I am, yes. And his response to me on that day was, I've always been a god. But see, he, he, had, he had never said it out loud before. <clears throat> see, we want, to, we want to diminish ourselves and fit ourselves into some human shell where we don't come off too big or too grand or too bright. And we don't serve anyone, including ourselves, when we make ourselves small. We don't. What we should do instead is we should step into who we are and own who we are and be what we are. So let me take, give you one example from a Christian from the New Testament. Christ said that he was the light of the world, which everybody that's Christian can embrace. But then he also said to those who are listening, ye are the light of the world. 
And not only did he tell them you are the light of the world, but he said, and don't hide it. Don't put it under a bushel. Put it on a mountain where everyone can see it. See, it's not pride to honor your divinity. Pride is refusing to honor someone else's, of respecting who they are, of thinking that you're better. That's pride. When you realize, no, we're all divine, that's not pride. When you talk about refusing to respect their divinity, so I suppose that could be one religion refusing to accept another. Well, let me give you a, a personal example. I walked into the ER one day into a patient care room to take care of a patient, and the gentleman on the table was in tattered clothing, and he was dirty. He had long, scruffy hair and an unkempt beard. He uh, had struggles with addiction. He had holes in his shoes and holes in his socks, and he'd been out walking around in the snow, and he was the antithesis of everything the world says is success. And I knew what needed to be done. He did too. We didn't hardly speak to one another. I filled a wash basin with warm water, and I put some soap in it, and I sat down at the foot of the gurney, and I took his shoes and the last threads of his socks from his feet and I lowered them into the wash basin and I proceeded to wash his feet. And when I did that, something miraculous happened. Some veil, uh, whatever that is, was drawn back and I saw who he was. I saw his divine nature. And I wouldn't be exaggerating if I said... I saw God. That's who was sitting there in front of me. That's whose feet I was washing. I went into the room thinking I was going to serve him, and I realized when I left that he had ministered to me. Because then I understood every soul is divine. And it made me look at people differently from that day forward. And that's sometimes a struggle, isn't it? I've learned so much doing this podcast and try to be so much more uh, accepting and non-judgmental, but it can be a struggle, can't it? It can be a struggle. One of the things that helped me was when I finally got to the point where I could look at other people and I could say, I don't understand your path, but I don't have to. It's not my path. I don't have to judge it. I don't have to rationalize it or explain it. All I have to do is honor it. It's not my path, it's yours. And when I got so I could say that and honestly mean it, then I was able to stop judging. We are, we're so many traditions in our world today condition people to think that they're on the right path and that there is no other legitimate path. And that is a recipe for judge, judging others. Because if you see them doing something that doesn't fit with your path, then you have to, then you assume they're on the wrong path. And, and, and I've learned otherwise. People are on the path that is right for them to learn what they need to learn in the time that they're there. And I have no business judging someone else's path. And do any of your experiences make you feel fearful? I have not had that experience of fear. I have friends who have had fearful experiences, 
But my experiences have been the antithesis of fear. When I've had my experiences, I knew who I was. I knew who the people around me were. I had a flow of profound knowledge and light and glory and love uh, that all came in an instant. And I could see in all directions at the same time. And I could communicate perfectly with the uh, souls that others didn't see. And uh, in those moments, I felt completely awake and alive and whole. And I never experienced fear in my my spiritual uh, encounters. That reminds me of something else uh, from the book where you said – It's about Susan, and you said Susan met Sheila in our home, and in the midst of an innocuous conversation, you saw her soul, and you said you saw her without sorrow, and I came to realize we'd known each other for an eternity. Uh, Susan was recently widowed and had three boys, and she was looking for a place to live. Uh, She was coming from the East Coast looking for a place to live. And after that experience that you just mentioned, my wife and I opened up our home and let her and her boys live in our home for a time until she was able to find a place of her own. And what I meant by it was, as I said earlier, I believe we all existed before we were were born. And I think that I knew Susan uh, before either of us were born. And what was restored to me was a recollection or an awareness of that eternal friendship that we'd had and continue to have today. In fact, her oldest boy, uh, who is now married, lives in Chile, uh, just had a a child today. This very day, they got a new child. And uh, so Susan is a grandmother once again, and we're still in touch. And that's been 25 years since we first met that day. There's a kind of, I don't know, a soul friendship there. There's another thing that I hear talked about. Is there are groups of souls that work together in these lives. Yes, when I meet people like that, I have a profound experience. I, I met a couple of them uh, when I went to my first conference of the International Association for Near-Death Studies up in Bellevue, Washington a year and a half ago. And I met a couple people there. And when I saw them... My whole soul just reverberated. I I could feel it throughout my whole body. And there was this tingling recognition of awareness and knowledge of who they were. And I saw them in a a different light. I saw something that was eternal about them beyond their physical appearance. And uh, I've gained some wonderful friendships uh, as a consequence. And they feel it too. That's the interesting thing. They feel it too. People come to me sometimes and they'll say, I saw you and I, I, I had to talk to you. And they'll sit down and start explaining things to me. And I'll go, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I wanted to ask you about a dream you had. You had a dream about Gandhi and uh, some British soldiers. And there was a massacre and it sounded like quite a violent thing to dream. But it really meant something. Yeah, it was profound. And the thing at that time in my life is I'd heard of Gandhi, Gandhi, uh, uh, but I hadn't studied his life at all. I didn't know much about him. And so when I awoke from the dream and I somehow knew it was him, I, I went and started to research his life. And I, 
I found the record of the Amritsar riot in India, which was exactly what I saw in my dream, which prompted me to study more about the life of Gandhi. And uh, and it, it, it was powerful because one of my favorite quotes from him is, I am a Muslim and a Hindu and a Christian and a Jew. And in another account of it, he, he includes Buddhism and says he's a Buddhist as well. Uh, that's what we need to come to recognize is that we all have components of who we are and some of those components are like other people and some of them are like another group of people and we all share a common heritage. And, and so when I study religion, and I do quite a bit, I see much more how we're alike than how we're different. And I love Gandhi for uh, for making that so prominent in his uh, experience. Do you feel that he was in some way sent, in a way, as a messenger, if that makes sense? Oh, I wouldn't uh, doubt that at all. Um, I think that's very plausible that he was sent as a messenger. Think how disappointed he was when he labored and labored and united the people and they won their nonviolent independence from from England, from Great Britain, and then, and then they turned around and instead of making India uh, an independent state, they chose up religious sides and broke it into two countries, one for the, for the uh, Hindus and one for the uh, Muslims. Think how, how brokenhearted he must have been to, to, to help these people recognize that they were one and to unify them only to have them separate uh, and identify themselves as separate and different and segregated. It's an unfortunate part of the human condition, isn't it? We always seem to do it. it, it we do do it a lot, and it's very unfortunate because if you look at the message of many of the uh, ascended masters, if you look at Christ's message, uh, it's all about being one. It's all about being alike. And yet religion, almost any religion, almost anywhere in the world, is all about how we're different. It's about separating people and labeling them as good and bad or righteous and wicked, as Gentiles or Jews or uh, you, you name it. it. We get so, I mean, we, we divide people on race, on religion, on gender, uh, on, on sexual orientation, and so many things. And and. I think the message that we're actually here to learn is that we are all one. And when we get to that point, when we start accepting that, then I think we get closest to our divine nature. I, I was speaking to a group of people uh, not too long ago. There was about 60 people there, and they brought pictures of their deceased loved ones. And there was about 30 pictures at the front of the room. And I was getting ready to uh, speak. I went down to the room and sat in the room by myself for a time to get centered in preparation. And I looked at the pictures in the front of the room and pondered what message they might have for those who were attending. And the souls of those people came to me all at once. It's, it surprised me. I thought I might get a message or two. But they came all at once and they said, our message is the same. We are one. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's amazing how these things come to you. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who'd be listening to this who'd be thinking, well, I, I wish this would come to me. Do you do any kind of meditation to get you into a certain frame of mind? Sometimes I pray, sometimes I meditate, sometimes I exercise or just sit quietly and ponder. Um, I try to get my mind open, my spirit receptive and, uh, and calm and eliminate for a short time the, the things of the world, the things that distract us. And I actually meet with people one-on-one. -on -one. I do one-on-one uh, -on -one mentoring with people to help them connect to their highest self so that they can get their own answers and have a more authentic life and find the path that they're looking for. So many people come to me and say that they've never had a spiritual experience, and they're genuine when they say it. But as we visit, and I walk them through some of their experiences in life, they start to realize I help them recognize they have had spiritual experiences. They just ignored them or minimized them. And when, I, when they start to own them, when they let them be real, they start down a path where they're more connected with divine things and sometimes with their deceased loved ones for a richer, fuller, more authentic life. If you were in the hospital and you saw something happen, very spiritual, and there's a few things you've described in the book about sensing spirits leaving a dying body, and if their family are there, do you tell them that you're sensing these things? Almost never. Um, if I had a strong impression, if I got a message that it was important for me to say something, then I would, but... Usually, people, it's a very sensitive, difficult time for people, and you have to be very cautious and careful about what you say. And there was a couple of occasions where I actually wanted to say something, and I felt strongly impressed that I shouldn't, and so I remained silent. The, the situation is compounded by the fact that I'm a physician, and some people would find such information from a physician comforting and others would find it offensive or question your competency. And so it's a doubly uh, delicate situation as a physician. That, I think, is the main reason I didn't speak about it until I stopped seeing patients a few years ago. And that's when I felt like I could share. 
have you had many experiences where there was more than just you that saw something? Because you did talk about when you were first met, when you first saw Jeff Olson and his wife was there, that the nurse was with you and she saw this as well. That nurse was the only other person in the department that knew I had those experiences. And the reason she knew is because she had them some she had some similar experiences herself and she was willing to talk about it. And she pried some of it out of me and made me talk about it. And so she and I were the only two people I knew in that department that had those experiences and we had talked about them. And so she came and got me and drugged me by the arm down to the trauma room and said, you have to come to the trauma room. She's there. His, his wife is there. And yes, she experienced the same thing I did. Was that the only time or have there been other times? When others have shared my experience? Yeah. I suppose that you, they wouldn't know to tell you because they wouldn't know you were interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we both had a profound experience, and neither one of us were willing to to bring it up or talk about it. That's what would have happened with Jeff Olson. I had no intention of going and talking to him at all. And this same nurse came to me a month after the accident and said, "We have to go talk with him." And I said, "No, we don't." And she said, "Yes, it's really important. We need to go." And I said, "Listen, if you want to go tell a perfect stranger about your spiritual experiences, be my guest. But I don't feel I need to do that." Uh, but she she persuaded me, and she took me, and we had the conversation, and it, it had a wonderful outcome. Who knows what other wonderful things might have happened if I'd have spoken with more people about my experiences. I Maybe those were missed opportunities. Yeah, I suppose if there's a, a hospital chaplain, the patients would have no problem with him talking about spiritual things. But if you're wearing the doctor's clothing... All they want is science from you. Right, and that's what they got from me generally. Um, I rarely had a spiritual experience when I was in charge of the patient. I was busily examining the patient and considering diagnoses and treatments, and if it was a really severe patient, I might be putting a chest tube in or intubating them or doing something else to try and save their life, and I was completely immersed in the science and the physical of it. The experience I had with Jeff Olson and some of the others, like the woman that left her body that you mentioned earlier, those were experiences I had when some other physician was in charge of the patient and I had absolutely no medical responsibility. And I think that was, I think that was one of the reasons I was able to have those experiences, because I wasn't so consumed with the physical and the scientific, and my heart was open to the spiritual. Yeah, your mind was in a different place, a different gear. Right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you uh, learned Hebrew to read the Torah. Did you find what you knew of the Torah, say, from an English language point of view, was very different to the way it comes across in uh, Hebrew? Hebrew is a wonderful language. I love what I learned in Hebrew. I'm not fluent in it, and I, I've never been an expert. Um but uh, I don't know whether you speak any other languages, but the people that are listening who speak more than one language will, will verify that there are certain words in every language that cannot be translated into another language. They, they carry far too much uh, uh, nuanced meaning to fit nicely into a word-for-word -word translation. 
And there's a lot of words like that in Hebrew. And I had new insights into the Torah when I studied in Hebrew that I'd never contemplated in English. And I'd studied it a lot in English. I'd read commentaries. I'd read it several times and things. But I remember the first time I knew enough Hebrew to pray in Hebrew, I had a profoundly spiritual experience because I was saying things that were so rich that they seemed to reach deeper than my English could go. So the, are you saying that it's almost like the translation into English doesn't get it across properly and that really if you want to grasp it, you need to learn the language? In some ways, that's true. Some people would argue that the only way, that, the only legitimate way to study the Quran is in Arabic. I never, I didn't learn Arabic. Uh, I studied the Quran in English. I, I learned a little bit of Greek to study the New Testament, but I didn't get very far down the Greek path. You know, it's said. I haven't confirmed this independently, but it's said that the uh, indigenous people of uh, Alaska, the Eskimos, have as many as thirty words for snow. And, and, and the people in the Pacific Islands have nearly as many words to describe rain. And uh, virtually every language, there's examples of those things, that you come up with the vocabulary needed to communicate what is common to the people you're speaking to. And so I use a very different vocabulary if I'm speaking to a Christian gathering as opposed to speaking at a medical conference, as opposed to speaking at a near-death conference, I use different words, different vocabulary. I may be conveying the same message, but I'm sensitive to the audience and what they can hear and what they understand. And so when you're talking with Jeff Olson, what kind of a presentation do you guys do? We usually share some of his near-death experience and some of my, what's called a shared death experience, the experience I had with his wife, Tamara. Uh, we talk about the things we learned. We talk about uh, what's happened with our friendship over the last 20 years and some of the things that we continue to learn now. And we always try to reserve plenty of time for question and answers because that's when you really uh, connect richly with, uh, with people when you address the questions they have. And do you do these talks all across the U.S. as well? Uh, yes, we do. I've spoken from the East Coast to to the West. I, I, we, uh, in January, we did a 10-day cruise that took off out of Miami, Florida, and stopped in Aruba and Bonaire and Curacao. And we... It was called the Healing Tides Cruise. We had 60 people on the cruise that were attending our seminars on board ship, and it was about healing and, and growing after losing a loved one. It was, it was a wonderful, powerful experience. And then a couple of weeks ago, we were in, on the West Coast in Santa Barbara uh, speaking and sharing. So, yeah, we try to get out and share our message when the opportunity presents itself. Do you have a, a website where people can find out about these talks to see where your dates are? Yes. Um, my name is Jeff O'Driscoll, and my website is jeffodriscoll.com. No apostrophe in the O'Driscoll because you can't put those kind of characters in a web address. The, the other domain name that goes to the same website is helpingsoulsheal.com. As you are now in your life, your experiences must have taught you a lot as you've gone through the years. 
do you find that what the lessons that you've learned have kind of changed over time? And you might look back to 10 years ago and think, you know what, I was a bit wrong about that, but now I really get it. Yes, uh, very much so. I, I've kept a daily journal for the last 40 years. And last year I read it for the first time. And I was struck by how much I was beating up on myself about not being good enough. I didn't exercise enough. I ate too much. I slept in too late. And I was always beating myself up. And when you read it in quick succession like that, and you see it come back, when I saw it come up over and over again, I really kind of took a step back and said, wow, Jeff, give yourself a break. <laughs> you know, live a little. And... Uh, Somebody asked me recently if I could write a letter to my younger self, what would I say? And that's, that's what I would say. I'd say, Jeff, lighten up, enjoy your life. Stop beating up on yourself all the time. So, yeah, my view of myself has changed over the decades. I suppose it's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, I think we sometimes, we get in this cycle of self-condemnation and it doesn't do us any good because it makes us think we're less than we are. We tend to diminish things that are physical and mortal. Uh, and we think that when we go down a wrong path, uh, th that it is just that a wrong path. Or that when, when we make a decision that doesn't have the consequence uh, that we expected, that it was somehow a mistake. But if we learn something from it, then one could argue it really isn't a mistake. And... Uh, I think it's really important for us to remember that we came here because we're on the path to a divine place and to a divine nature that we are. And mortality is part of that path. And more, being mortal does not make us less divine. I think that's really important for us to remember, to remind ourselves, wait a minute, I'm here to be mortal. That's the purpose of this existence. Being mortal does not make me less divine. Yeah, it's a saying I heard that uh, we are spirits having a human experience, not humans who have a spiritual experience. Correct. I agree. So um, we've been talking a little bit about your book, Not Yet, it's called Near Life Experiences and Lessons Learned. Would you be writing another book? I have a follow-up to that book that's about half or two-thirds written. And I, I intend to finish it, although I'm not certain of the timeline. I took a little diversion recently and started writing my next novel. Um, I haven't written fiction for a few years, and I find fiction very refreshing. And, and so I'm, I started writing a novel. So I, I have multiple things going on right now. I, I, I wrote a novel a few years ago. It's, it's titled Who Buried Achilles? And it starts out with a really rough character. He's a really hardened person because of the things he's been through in life but ultimately some things happen that really crack him open and send him on a new path to start reevaluating where he's going it's it's actually a very spiritual book but it's fiction and that's uh is that on amazon as well with your other books yep they're both on amazon they're both also on my website but i don't ship internationally on my website so yeah go to amazon or kindle for not yet and for who buried achilles well thank you very much for coming on to the podcast it's been a really interesting conversation it's been wonderful chatting with you you know 
uh, about 40 years ago, I lived in England for a couple of years, and uh, I miss it. People, by the way, can find me on Facebook as well if they're looking. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was a great interview with Jeff O'Driscoll. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. I've had some reviews lately, and it really does help the podcast. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Visit the homepage of my website at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk and click on the Become a Patron button. Or go to patreon.com forward slash pastlivespodcast. To access the episodes on Patreon, you install the Patreon app, or otherwise you can download them or stream them from the Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash pastlivespodcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.